Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite blow your mind. Maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never leave your house clean. (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our uh, horror movies for a rainy night theme with, I think, one of the ultimate films in this category, personally, which is Poltergeist from 1982. Uh, So this was directed by Toby Hooper, who all of you are probably well familiar with from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Also did Salem's Lot, you know, one of, I think, arguably one of the best uh, TV horror films ever made, made made-for-TV horror films. You know, we'll just address this now, you know, uh, with Poltergeist. There have long been rumors, you know, that Toby Hooper didn't direct the film that Steven Spielberg did. And, you know, I, I will just I will just say I, I personally think that that's complete bullshit. Um, yeah, that's I really think, rude. <laughs> I, I think it's been corroborated that that was not the case, you know. So uh, just brief story, long story short, essentially what happened is, you know, during filming and during interviews, like there were just rumors that, you know, that, that Toby didn't really direct the film and Spielberg was a producer on it and in between working on E.T. he had time he had more time available than usual to be on set so he was there for a lot of creative decisions and the way that Spielberg described it I think in an interview uh, was that Toby wasn't really a take charge guy so Steven was making a lot of the decisions so look I mean you know I I still don't know exactly what 100% the full story is here Mm -hmm. Uh, but from what it sounds like to me Toby directed the movie and Steven was probably a little bit more creatively influential than normal because he was producing he Mm -hmm. did write the script and was there on set probably a lot more than he normally would have been. So, it was collab- and, be- and being Spielberg, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people came to him for decisions. Yeah, it was collaborative, but Toby did it. Toby directed. Yes, exactly. And Spielberg himself later said, yes, the credit goes to Toby and all that kind of stuff. And you can see a lot of different elements throughout the film that I think are heavily Toby Hooper's style. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that's Spielberg's style as well, but I, I, I just think it's... I, I think the claims that Spielberg directed the movie are ridiculous. Yeah. It's not like Toby was just there as like a puppet to just <laughs> be there for like set photos and shit. That's <laughs> such a dick thing to say. It's just such a dick thing to do to Toby Hooper. Yeah, no, not deserved at all. Um, no. But anyway, so Poltergeist was a huge success. Uh, but despite that, and because of, I think, the rumors, you know, that he hadn't directed, a, he didn't work for a few years after this. And eventually signed a uh, three-picture deal with Canon, uh, which resulted in Life Force, Invaders from Mars, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, all of which were pretty much a pain in the ass to work with the <laughs> studios. So following that, you know, Toby kind of ended up 
going more into a career of kind of smaller features and made for TV stuff and television. And so, you know, like, like many of our horror favorites did not exactly, I think have the career that he would have liked, but (laughs) or, or, or the most positive career working with studios. And so the film was written by Steven Spielberg, who of course we all know from Jaws, the movie that made him big, Michael Grace, who also worked on Poltergeist 2, along with Mark Victor, who also wrote the script for this and did Poltergeist 2. And both of those guys were actually uh, producers on the film Sleepwalkers that was directed by Mick Garris, which we've talked about on the show before. And it stars Heather O'Rourke as Carol Ann. She was discovered by Spielberg in the MGM commissary. Uh, he just kind of saw, well, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. Yeah. Like she was just kind of sitting around waiting for her mom for something. And he just walked up to her and, you know, was like, I think, you know, you're like the you perfect s- creepy kid for my movie. Yeah, basically. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how often that happens anymore, but he used to a lot. And so, yeah, he just saw something in her. Um, you know, and, and as many of you probably know, it, it was very unfortunate. Uh, she ended up, passing away during the production of Poltergeist 3 from a misdiagnosed condition uh, that I won't get into here, but, you know, it ended up resulting in her death, unfortunately. Uh, But she was very talented, and her line in the film, They're Here, uh, was ranked number 69 on AFI's uh, Top 100 (laughs) Movie Quote Special, which I just thought was cool. You know, I like to mention stuff like that. Uh, The film also stars Joe Beth Williams as Diane, uh, who you can also see in horror in Poltergeist 2. She returned for the sequel. This was, like most of the cast, uh, the film that made her a star, essentially, was her breakout moment. Uh, she eventually moved to do a ton of TV and is still working today. Uh, it also stars Craig T. Nelson as Steve, who also did Poltergeist 2 and some other horror flicks, and, and including the uh, miniseries Creature, uh, which I actually really like. It's a pretty cool story about a monster that kind of starts off like a shark and is slowly mutating into a thing that like comes on land and stuff pretty pretty cool little that aquatic, sounds amazing yeah pretty cool little aquatic, aquatic horror thing and this was also his breakout role as well and then it also stars uh zelda rubinstein as tangina uh who did all the poltergeist movies uh was also in a film called anguish which is really great and creepy and and she just is phenomenal in it. Uh, I caught it a while ago at a screening a few years back during Halloween and just fell in love with this movie. So, But it's hard to track down, unfortunately. <laughs> What's cool about Zelda Rubenstein is that she actually quit her career as a lab technician at the age of 45 to pursue acting. And, you know, this eventually became her breakout role early in her career. And she was also an activist who was one of the most uh, outspoken advocates early on uh, for AIDS awareness and stuff like that. Uh, So she's just a really cool person. And I wanted to mention that because, you know, I just think it's awesome and a nice reminder that, like, it's never too late. You know, again, she's 45 and she's now and ended up with probably one of the most iconic roles in horror history, if not film history. Right. Uh, So it's never too late. You know, no matter how old you are, if you still have. And uh, an itch to do this kind of thing, go do it. You know, yeah. live your dreams. <laughs> okay, I officially fucking uh, love this woman. Yeah, no, she's great. So Poltergeist is basically, and and look, there's a lot more other great cast members I'd like to mention. This we'll probably mention some of them as we go on, uh, but we only have so much time. So, <laughs> uh, so so Poltergeist for those that haven't seen it is essentially about a family who finds themselves haunted by spirits or Poltergeist, as you may say. And when Carol Ann ends up disappearing during a chaotic event, uh, the family discovers that she is kind of living in like an in-between dimension within their house. And so they end up hiring uh, paranormal experts to kind of help them find her and bring her back to the real world. And, 
you know, that's basically the gist of it. <laughs> but we are going to be spoiling this film, so if you have not seen it, please go check it out. It is streaming at Tubi at the time of this discussion. It might actually be gone from Tubi by the time you're listening to this, though, so hopefully not. I think you only have a couple days yeah. to listen to it or to watch it as we're recording this. Uh, but if you can't find it there, it's well worth your rental. Yes. It, this film is phenomenal. Yep. One of one of the all-time classics in the genre that has just influenced so many horror films that you've seen in your life since then. But before we get into spoilers, we have our brief, brief little bit of tagline versus the film and kind of what we think of the tagline in the movie overall. So the tagline for Poltergeist, and this is technically two of them combined, but the tagline was, They're here. It knows what scares you. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? We think of Poltergeist overall. I mean, I feel like the taglines are pretty perfect. Like, you know, it quickly kind of like sums up what's kind of happening in the movie. But look, I like Poltergeist, but uh, I saw Poltergeist a little bit later. We'd watch other other. This is Chris films. softening you up for, I don't really like it that much. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm softening you up for saying, for me, Poltergeist is a horror comedy. And <laughs> I love it. I mean, that's fine if it's how you look at it. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, for me, I really, I think that Poltergeist is really fun just because I love the chaotic energy. The characters are just, make some interesting life choices. Um, and they sure do. Yeah. There's so many like fun, funny little moments in it that just like leave me laughing most of the movie. And then the effects are great. Like I fucking love the effects in this movie. So uh, I mean the visual effects are phenomenal. You know, I, I look at Poltergeist as an example of why I just really fucking hate, you know, modern <laughs> digital effects because just when you when you look at the stuff that they managed to achieve in 1982, mm -hmm. you know, the combination of visual effects that they used as well as the practical effects and, you know, animatronics, all that kind of stuff. Like just the combination of the types of effects they used to the effect that they used, yeah. you know, for how effective they actually are. It's just incredible. And mm -hmm. it, it, it just, you know, it, it, it going back and revisiting films like these sometimes just really make me sad. I think for the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for the modern state of film, because like, that's not to say that there aren't plenty of great films out there. There still are, we're still making lots of great movies, but I, I really do just yearn for this day of like, you know, just high creativity, mm -hmm. thinking on your feed, using these practical effects, using in-camera effects, you know, yeah. and being and just being clever with it to the we'll fix it in post, everything's <laughs> green screen, modern era that I just can't really, you know, stand. Yeah, fuck <laughs> green screens. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's a different kind of filmmaking that I'm not in love with. So. Yeah. See, so, I do hate it. This is one of the handful of, like, the classics that Matt has shown me okay, that well, I, I didn't hate. Well, I thought you didn't like this movie because when we first started dating and I showed you this, you kind of made fun of it for, like, the first half, and then I'm not even sure if you finished it. But We totally <laughs> finished it, and I make but, fun of all the movies we watch. Well, that's true but but anyway i had the impression you didn't like it but no i mean look it like anything else you know not everything is for everyone but uh for me poltergeist was was an early gateway horror for me you know it it, it was one of the films that kind of made me fall in love with the genre and had a huge influence on me as a kid you know it frankly i mean it scared the shit out of me for one <laughs> uh and this was back in the days when we didn't have a pg-13 rating right mm -hmm. and poltergeist was originally the, the MPAA was pushing for an R and, you know, Spielberg likely with his ties to the industry and all that kind of stuff, uh, did manage to work it down to a PG. Again, <laughs> this keeping movie's in, PG. <laughs> yes. Well, again, again, keeping in mind that PG 13 hadn't come around yet, yeah. you know, that, that ended up coming around because of Temple of Doom. 
right? Which, you know, ironically yeah, also connected to Spielberg's. <laughs> we didn't have that rating yet. There wasn't that rating for something in between totally childish and totally adult, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so Poltergeist managed to get a PG rating. And, you know, that probably left a lot of parents thinking like, oh, okay, my kid's going to be totally fine with this. And then you watch it and you're like, there's a uh, minor spoilers here, but it's like you watch it and you're like, there, there is a fucking like child eating tree. Yeah. There are, <laughs> you know, there's like there's fucking skeletons popping out of coffins. There's a fucking guy ripping his face off. You know, like th this shit is terrifying in this movie. If you're a kid, this has to be one of the most terrifying things I watched as a kid. And it was to such effect, you know, that again, minor spoiler, but not really. You know, there's that scene where the tree ends up pulling uh, Robbie, played by Oliver Robbins, out of his window and tries to eat him, <laughs> right? And and that scene I think of so often because I used to actually do the, you know, counting the, uh, thunder? the thunder thing that, that Craig T. Nelson teaches him in the beginning. Were you like, afraid of thunder? No, I wasn't afraid of thunder, but I was afraid of storms. Like, I, we, li we lived in the Midwest, and I was always terrified of tornadoes, right? And so uh, so I watched this movie, and there's that whole scene where, you know, Craig T. Nelson's telling him about, like, yeah, you just count down the thunder in between the lightning yeah. strikes, and then I'll tell you if it's getting closer or further. And so after seeing this movie, like, I used to do that, and if it was getting closer, I'd start freaking out and be like, fuck! <laughs> You're such a scared and child. I was, I was a terrified child. I was the only kid I've ever known who, if there was a storm in the middle of the night, I'd go downstairs and watch the weather channel to see if there was a tornado alert. <laughs> Fucking nerd. <laughs> yeah, this movie terrified me. Of course, the whole clown thing, too, which we won't get into right now. But it's just such a great film. You know, it's full of so much, like, magic and wonder while alternatively being scary as hell, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, and it, it is amazing because the original film was supposed to be so much darker than what we ended up with like the the writers were pretty much just going ham on like trying to make this the darkest goddamn movie possible uh, we were so, robbed. well i don't think so this is one of those occasions where i actually think it was smarter to dial Pull back, back to dial back the darkness uh which was all at you know the spielberg's recommendation apparently and and that makes sense because mm -hmm. spielberg ended up doing the same thing with gremlins you know where that script was originally much much darker yeah. and, and more of a horror film and he kind of pulled it back to you know being something that like kids and adults could enjoy and, mm -hmm. and i think that's the brilliance of spielberg you know yeah. is that he he kind of knows how to how to spot those projects that would actually be better to pull back some of the violence and the horror. So, so yeah, no, it was originally much darker. It was definitely a hard R, you know, it, it involved, <laughs> it involved all kinds of dark things, including like a, at one point, uh, there was a version of the script, I think where Caroline actually dies in the first act and, it, and it's like a ghost haunting them. And then I think in the third act, she's supposed to be like this possessed spirit that like burns down with the house and shit. And it's okay, just, <laughs> that sounds kind of amazing. I have to admit. I mean, for sure it sounds cool, but I do think that what we got is probably better. Right. Yes. And, and, and you never know, but... Someone um, make the dark poltergeist. Well, I'm sure there are knockoff versions out there we could reference. I mean, you know, Insidious and Conjuring are kind of like darker versions of this movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> James Wan's basically even stealing poltergeist for like the last decade. No knock against James Wan. I think he's brilliant, but Insidious, and, him, Insidious but. and Conjuring are totally knockoffs of this. Uh, but, but anyway, so, you know, one thing I want to get out of the way before we move on is that you know, just because I think it's important to mention these things is that Poltergeist is one of those kind of rare movies that was dubbed a quote-unquote cursed film, right? And it, so it's a brief sad moment here, but it was because of 
you know, so, some of the kind of unfortunate circumstances uh, that happened to cast members shortly after, you know, like Dominique Dunn, who played Dana, the older kid, uh, was actually murdered not too long after this came what out. What the uh, shit? By, yeah, she was murdered by an ex, and that's that explains why she's not in the sequels or really referenced. <laughs> well, now I feel bad. We watched the sequels and I made fun of her a bit. And well, I feel Well, you didn't now. make fun of her. You made fun of the fact that she wasn't mentioned. But you didn't know. You didn't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she was murdered. And then, of course, you know, the death of Heather O'Rourke. And there were other cast members that passed away. And anyway, I, you know, there's a really great series called Curse Films you can find on Shudder. And one of the episodes that they did was on Poltergeist. I think it's really important to go watch that uh, if you haven't because... You know, it really gets into just like how much the title of quote unquote curse film actually hurts the filmmakers because mm-hmm. I think it's sort of, and I agree with them that it's sort of like, you know, stains kind of maybe the legacy yeah. of those actors and this film, you know, it, to, to dub it a curse film because unfortunate things happen. I think that's just kind of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and I think it really takes away from the work that everybody put into the movie mm-hmm. and, and kind of the legacy of those roles, you know? So so it's a really great episode. I recommend checking that out. Uh, it really, really gets into just the feelings of everyone, especially with Poltergeist 3 and, and the cast and crew on that and what they were going through when Heather passed away. So, like, yeah. um, so do go check those out. But, okay, moving on from the sad <laughs> moments. <laughs> uh, so we are about to get into spoilers now. So, again, if you have not seen the movie... Please go do so, because uh, we're about to ruin everything for you that we can. Uh, so let's just start off with, I think, the very first opening moment of the film here, <laughs> which is, and, and keep it in mind, that they could play and do anything, right? We could mm-hmm. open with the theme song, we could open on different imagery, whatever. But this film opens with the national anthem uh, playing on TV. And this is something they used to do, you know, back when we actually had, like, televisions that were big and bulky and like static channels and stuff like that and before everything cable and every before cable and everything wasn't fucking streaming right so like <laughs> uh so so it opens on the national anthem playing like all these images of you know war and america and soldiers and whatever and then it cuts the static and then we're given this story that's basically about suburban america so like what what do you think about the fact that this film pretty much is about suburban america and what are we saying here with poltergeist <laughs> i do love the fact that we've had two movies that highly comment on like the american dream and the american way and all that kind of stuff it's really odd because our theme here was <laughs> horror movies for a rainy night and somehow we've run into two very close together themes between this and the return of the living dead <laughs> i mean rain american dream i don't know what the connection is there no there's not there's nothing <laughs> So I find it really interesting because I grew up in I grew up in suburban America in the Midwest. Oh, like, I grew up in more suburban America than you did. <laughs> did you have block parties? Yeah, of course we did. Okay, good. I lived in a cul-de-sac. We had block parties like every weekend. <laughs> you lived in like a tiny little town where like a hundred people no, went to school. <laughs> you're thinking about where I grew up for high school, not where I grew up. Grew up. All right, whatever. Anyhow, so for me personally, I love how this movie captures suburbia because there's so many movies that want to like tout up this like the American dream of moving to suburbia and having like the perfect family and everything's great and everything's nice. And this movie basically like kind of shits all over that idea. And it (laughs) captures it really well, not only in our opening scene where the goddamn golden retriever is going through the entire house eating 
food in every single fucking room. But then, you know, our follow-up scene is like the dude who has stolen a child's bike and is biking through the neighborhood with a case of beer. What oh, what are what is the what does any of this have to do with what you're trying to talk about? <laughs> so it, it has to do with it because like every other movie wants to paint suburbia as like, you know, this this nice, polite, like society type of thing in and, and that man riding a child's bike with beer, how dare he? <laughs> no, but it's it's the fact that normally it's all about neighborly stuff, but this dude gets fucking tripped by kids with like little like uh, race cars and stuff. So for me, like, you know, with that guy biking the kids tripping him and the opening scene, it's very much for me commenting on how so much media is is touting suburbia up as this idyllic thing. Even Diane says, says it at one point of like, we worked so hard to get here. And then the rest of the movie is just like, no, this is chaotic and it's shitty. And everybody's living in a house that looks just like your neighbors and fuck suburbia. I'm, it I'm sucks. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can't get over the fact that your reference point for suburbia sucks is a man riding on a bike with beer. <laughs> well, it's because the kids <laughs> fucking trip him. I mean, I mean, look, okay. That, that, that's how we get introduced to the neighborhood, you asshole. I mean, yes, but I don't. I, I, I look at that particular bit more as a thing just about like Hooper and Spielberg kind of just unveiling like what what American suburbia is, you know, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, I, I guess I see what you're saying. It's not. It's not the idyllic sort of place i get i don't know i I don't really know what to say to it because i what do you think is saying mr smarty pants because i don't i just don't think that that an image of a man riding on a bike with beer you're so fixated on that because that's what you chose uh look i i I look at that as more just like a fun little quip that they threw in right because Mm -hmm. because spielberg especially and hooper they they like to they like to throw in just like little fun things that that aren't I don't look at, so basically I don't look at it as a comment on the neighborhood. I look at it as just like them just saying this is real life. You know, mm-hmm. they, they try to find fun little quirky things that are real life. And it, so on this particular theme, I think what is so interesting about the film is that, you know, th- this really is just like a total slicing open of the belly of what it of, of what suburban America and the American dream truly means Mm -hmm. and what's in there is like corruption and (laughs) horrible secrets and bad people you know like Mm -hmm. like all of that is underneath the surface of these so-called ideals of the american dream you know i mean and what a perfect representation of that for the reveal for the film we're in spoilers now uh for the reveal of the film to be that this neighborhood is built on a cemetery where they moved the gravestones and not the bodies like yeah. that, like that moment where Craig T. Nelson confronts Mr. Teague played by James Karen, who also <laughs> un, 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 unplanned it? theme is in the return of living dead. Right. You know, that moment where he confronts him and he's like, you moved the to you move the headstones but you didn't move the bodies why why and he's just like screaming at him like it's just such a great moment and a great presentation of you know just corruption in america yeah. and and just the fact that 
you know, the whole reason that it was done that way is to save money and, to, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and they just think that everyone's going to ignore it and it'll never be found out or it'll be like a future generation's problem, right? <laughs> and, and that's just like such an American way of thinking. It's like, it's yeah. not my problem. It'll be someone else's. No. As long as I'm profitable, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, isn't that basically just America is that we've built this like fake idyllic life on like the bones of other people? <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. No, and exactly, and that, and that's really what is at the heart of Poltergeist here mm-hmm. is that, you know, it, it's you know, it's actually I think purposely ironic that that Mister T himself I think uh, mentions the, you know, it's not like it's some tribal burial ground or whatever. It's just people. I th- I think that that line actually has meaning because you know, well the. Well, the uh, the cemetery is not, you know, some, as he puts it, ancient Indian burial ground. Uh, I do think that that's included because I think the film wants you to recognize the fact or, or to think about the fact that, you know, the, the American dream is built on taking land from Native Americans, right? Yep. Like it is built on taking land from others. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all of these suburban houses, you know, this whole quote-unquote idyllic life that's been built uh in these suburbs you know that's all land that was taken from someone else and so and so even though it's not a quote-unquote tribal burial ground Mm -hmm. uh, i think that you can really look at them as one and the same because or or i think that you can look at them in a similar vein or or as what the movie's talking about because it it is referencing that idea of you know these people might not be native americans but it's still the same idea of you're just taking land and disrespecting yeah <laughs> you know the land of someone else and and yes these people are dead and whatever mm-hmm. but but it's their land in a sense and you're disrespecting uh their bodies and and yeah. you know who they were so you know and i feel like a big part of this mo- this movie is also just like you do you know yes these people are dead but at the same time you have to respect your history you have to have some amount of respect for your history otherwise it's going to fucking come back and explode out of your goddamn front yard yeah with um, fucking coffins and skeletons popping out exactly the skeletons will literally come out of the closet exactly <laughs> like you know you have to respect these things you have to be be paying attention to like the world around you and you also have to consider the life that you're building on top of all of this because yeah. for me like that's the huge thing is just you know growing up in suburbia there is this weird pressure to you know know make everything sterile make everything the same everybody has to fit inside the same cookie cutter house and that's also really unrealistic no no i don't think that it's i mean i mean yes it is but i i think the actual horror of that is Mm. just the you know i i think i mean that's that's the irony of the american dream right Mm. or 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 what they call it or view it as is yes, you know, especially back then, the American dream was seen as like, yeah, no, you're you're living like a, a decent job, well-paying job in these fucking suburbs where every goddamn house looks the same. Yeah, and and you're fitting into these, you know, Reaganism ideals and everything. <laughs> you know, like Reaganomics was a big thing and all Fuck around. Fuck Reagan. Time. Yeah, well, I, I mean, he's even referenced in the movie because Craig mm-hmm. T. Nelson is reading his fucking book yep. about him as president. So yep. it makes me think that, you know, uh, his character might have voted for him. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, so it, it's it's reflecting on that idea of, like, you know, the what the American dream really is, is honestly just, you know, uh, American government and all that kind of stuff forcing us all into 
you know, these suburbs or, yeah. or what we're supposed to believe is the ideal life. It's essentially brainwashing, you know, mm-hmm. it's essentially, essentially trying to make you all the same and there's no room for being different or, you know, under the Reagan area, there's no room for being queer or anything like that. Like, Definitely it's, not. like you know, it, it's all about trying to make us like these, you know, the, like holding on to this idea of the nuclear family and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we all have to live in the same house and look the same. And, you know, like, yeah. it, I, I mean, look at this fucking neighborhood. There are no black people there. It's all nope. fucking white people, you know, yep. all fucking white people. And, and, and I don't think that that's on accident and it just, you know, so, so what, <laughs> Some of you were probably listening to this and you're like, I just I just love poltergeist. Why why are you why are you We make, also love poltergeist. Why are you making this so dark? But I mean look, it's a really fucking dark movie under yeah. underneath the heart of it. Like it really is. It's you know, it's just all about the fucking corruption and monotony and brainwashing yeah. of of the American people, you know, into thinking that there's some sort of ideal society, but you know, the horror of it is is it's only ideal society for some. Mm-hmm. Not everybody Not gets everybody. to be a part of the American dream. It's exclusive. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of what they're saying here. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, it it even goes beyond to just like there being pressure that you have to fit in. You can't think outside the box or anything. And I feel like weirdly we see that with, you know, the, the neighbor rivalry that our main family has with their next door neighbors. Like Steve and Diane go over to basically kind of talk about the haunting and what they're dealing with. And that fucking dude whose name escapes me right now, like, their neighborhood just completely shuts them down. Like, mm. will not admit to anything weird happening to his house. And even goes so far to be like, I've never been bit by a mosquito. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair to his neighbor, maybe there is nothing weird going on in their house. There might not be. There's not. But, but it's the fact that he's not, like, even willing to, like, kind of talk about it. It's so shut down. It's so, like, keeping up with the Joneses. Like... I, I don't know. I, the, the the remote thing, though, I think is interesting because, you know, I love the way that this film talks about technology, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I because I'm a I'm a big, you know, I kind of secretly hate technology kind of person. <laughs> and <laughs> Matt and I would both be Luddites if we could be. It, well, I don't know about that, but I, I would be. <laughs> but but I, I do think that, you know, so so consider the period again. This is 1982 that this film was made in production for, you know, a while. And and television was relatively, you know, not new, but I mean, it was, you know, newish. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, and so I just think that there was this kind of thing going on at the time, where, you know, there 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 we we began to talk about sort of the negative aspects of like consumerism and technology you know mm-hmm. there was this kind of cynicism about it that was that was coming about from the 70s uh where you saw a lot of films that were very cynical <laughs> and 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 event and the 80s kind of started to break out of that a little bit but you know it was just that we, we were very cynical at the time and we see why now you know because technology eventually led to a bunch of bullshit but <laughs> <laughs> you know i i just think it's it kind of fun because it's like i almost sort of look at this as like the idea that you know technology is like sucking our souls right out of us right and <laughs> you know like the whole thing with carol ann like what disappearing. an old person thing to say no no no. but i'll get but i but it's in the movie it I'm, not, I'm not saying it like it's my opinion i'm saying that's the movie's opinion because look at this you know you've got you've got carol ann actually like having her soul essentially sucked into the television and she's speaking through the television mm-hmm. and it's not it's not like it's by accident you know there are plenty of 
uh, com- comments throughout the film about how you know about how technology is sort of damaging in a sense like you got the scene where carol ann's watching static on the tv and her mom's like you know oh don't watch that it'll it'll you know hurt your eyes or or damage you or something like that mm-hmm. and she flips the channel to like war and people like <laughs> fighting and killing each other you know which again is you know a commentary on like the government and how it just you know tries to pump up war to us like it's a good thing but yeah <laughs> but you know but no i i think that the the technology thing comes into play because you know this was a time i think when you were really witnessing kind of all the different fears playing into the deconstruction of the nuclear family and and mm-hmm. the, and the and the fear of like what what technology and what the new world quote unquote was going to do uh to kids you know because mm-hmm. the the world was beginning to become a bit more open we were beginning to see some of that and it's why i love uh, that the parents in this aren't really like your normal parents that you see in film at the time, you know? No, they're, they're fucking pot smoking, chilled people. Yeah, they're they're smoking <laughs> dope, you know. I mean, that you you didn't see parents smoking dope in movies, especially oh. not a PG movie at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I love that, and I think that's included to kind of show like how America's changing, right? Yeah. And it, but but there are still like inherent fears that are kind of being explored there, and I think one of them is the fear of losing youth to kind of all these things that they were afraid of whether it be like rock or tech technology whatever mm-hmm. and, and i think a lot of that plays out through caroline you know like it, it, in a sense this movie's almost like a a a kidnapping story you know <laughs> uh, uh with yeah. a ghost and, and it sort of ties into i think kind of a modern fear maybe like mm-hmm. you you can sort of look at poltergeist as being as being reflective of where we are now with this idea that you know they they talk about how Carol Ann is uh, being held hostage by this ghost that lies to her and pretends to be being a child a kid, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And I mean, fuck it if that doesn't sound exactly like you know the sort of fear that parents have with their kids being online and mm-hmm. talking to people that they don't know who they are. You know, so yeah. so it's in a sense it's it's a lot of it's kind of a lot like a modern day <laughs> kidnapping no. story with ghosts and you know pre internet. So. No, I definitely agree with you because there are a lot of moments. You know, when when it comes to technology and all that kind of stuff, it is hard to keep track of what exactly, you know, your kids are interacting with. I know my parents never knew who I was talking to or anything like that. Now, granted, I am very, very lame and not good with technology. So the, no, you are not. <laughs> the worst I did was read Sailor Moon fan fiction. But, you know, there is that worry with technology that you don't know who you're talking with. And I think, you know, for me, that's more on point with Carol Ann kind of talking to the spirits through her toy phone you know because that's like i know we're talking specifically about um technology and stuff like that but also this concept of not knowing who our kids are talking to and who they're interacting with like for me the phone scene where you know she's responding on that is so similar to like us growing up on like instant messenger and stuff like that, not really knowing, not really seeing who's on the other end, and just kind mm. of, Caroline very casually gives out information that no one should give out. She tells that ghost her age, she talks to it, you don't give anybody your personal information on the internet, that's dangerous. Yep, kids don't know that. And no. so, And so, you know, so again, I'm not talking about my own fears here, but the mm-hmm. film, the film I think is reflective of the older generation's fear at the time, right? Yeah. And, and how much was changing, and there is sort of that you know, kind of look at like, 
the the issues that technology can cause with the going back to the remote thing, mm -hmm. which again is a scene that I love that's included. I really still don't fully understand th <laughs> that working that way because that never happened to me. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, that just seems pretty random to me. But uh, but I like that it's in there because it almost kind of it's like a it's like a small microcosm of the sort of fighting that technology causes, right, or mm -hmm. that it can lead to with these two neighbors battling with their remotes. And you know, of course, meanwhile we have tech uh leading to much greater <laughs> dangers <laughs> and fighting you know and more advanced weaponry and all that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. um so again it all just it just keeps on fitting into that reagan era of just <laughs> when when everything just kind of started to go to shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> fuck reagan fuck reagan and fuck that goddamn tree <laughs> that <laughs> okay that, that tree is awesome it is a perfect climbing tree and it has a face it does have a face, and it scares the shit out of me, and it's why I totally believe uh, Robbie when he says that it looks at him, because that tree has a face. It absolutely does. It, that, that face is not acknowledged on that tree, but if you look at that tree to the left, there is a fucking face on that tree. <laughs> you know, and I agree with, with, I think it's Steve who's just like, that tree knows shit, because that tree absolutely knows your deepest, darkest secrets. But I have to admit, okay, the tree scene is terrifying because, like, who the fuck wants to, like, get grabbed by a tree in the middle of the night? But you know what's even more terrifying about that scene is the fact that Carol Ann is snuggling with that goddamn clown toy in the middle the of that scene. What the hell are you talking about? What is terror? Why is that more terrifying than a because, child eating tree? Because the clown is fucking creepy. How dare that little girl <laughs> cuddle with a clown it's toy? It's a creepy clown toy. It is a creepy clown toy, but what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I just wanted to bring up the creepy clown toy. No, for me, the tree scene, you know, it's it's Robbie's worst fear, right? He's terrified of, of this tree and it coming to get him. And honestly, the way I've used it, it's a fucking diversion tactic. Like, yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, the tree's just kind of like, cool, I need to get Caroline alone. So if I eat this small child, everybody will come running and then we can steal this small baby girl. Yeah, this small <laughs> baby girl. Yes. No, I mean, look, that's exactly what it is. I, I, I didn't realize this as a kid, mm -hmm. you know, but but the older I've gotten, the more I've realized like, oh, these ghosts are straight up trying to distract the parents oh, uh, yeah. with with Robbie so that they can steal Carol Ann, mm -hmm. uh, which which is so like fucked up on so many levels, you know, because because <laughs> on one hand, it's like, you know, there's just so much going on here because it's like, why is nobody watching Carol Ann? Why is everyone focused on the boy child, Robbie? I mean, I get it. He's being eaten by a tree. He's but, being eaten by a but, tree. But you don't leave, like, one adult to keep an eye on Carol Ann while a fucking tree is coming to life in your backyard? Like, <laughs> To be fair, the older sister was still in the house and ignored Carol Ann's screams. Well, She's a terrible older sister. Well, yeah, but the parents didn't exactly tell her to keep an eye on Carol Ann either. So. That's true. They're still high at this point, I think, though. I mean, probably. So I guess you can't blame them. But, you know, uh, so the, these are actually fears that were based on uh, Spielberg's own fears as a kid. Like he had uh, a fear of some kind of clown toy. And I think he had a tree like this. Were people just afraid of trees? Is that just a thing? Did you see how creepy that tree was, Chris? <laughs> no, I saw how that tree was a perfect climbing tree. I mean, look, I, I think that the tree is really creepy for a lot of reasons, uh, not just the way that it looks, uh, but just the fact that, you know, it's kind of fun when you look around the neighborhood, there are a few different trees that look very similar to this. Mm -hmm. And when you consider the fact that those trees probably grew out of the graves <laughs> of the dead, I mm -hmm. mean, I, and the trees themselves are all kind of 
decrepit and you know twisted and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff you know and very gothic looking like um i think that i think there's definitely a good creep element to that but but i like the tree being in it because even though i doubt this was the intention uh as well as i doubt it was the intention that carol ann's own headboard on her bed kind of looks a little bit like a tree mm-hmm. you know th- to me trees are the symbol of life and death in a sense you know yeah. because because trees essentially grow out of the soil they grow out of the dead mm-hmm. in order to sprout new life right mm-hmm. and there and there is like a lot of heavy symbolism about kind of death itself and the cycle of life in this movie you know yeah. uh, like one of the things we open with is is the damn parakeet dying <laughs> and, and Carol Ann walking in on her mom trying to, you know, drown or flush it down the toilet. And and it's just like, that's such a traumatic thing for a child. Mm-hmm. But I think that that whole opening is so good about talking about death, not just from an adult perspective, but from a child perspective as well, mm-hmm. because it ultimately kind of comes back to the same idea of moving the headstones and and keeping the bodies there and disrespecting mm-hmm. that is just this idea of like you know we we just don't respect death no like especially and especially <laughs> in American culture we don't respect death no look I fucking love the parakeet scene I love the parakeet or as I call it canary because I don't know what fucking birds are but Indeed. that scene for me sets the stage for this entire movie because if you pay attention to the bird the bird pretty much lets you know everything that's going to happen in this movie. You know, much like, you know, miners used to take a canary down into the mines with them because if the canary died, they knew they had to get the fuck out. It was the warning symbol. And that bird is our exact same warning symbol throughout the movie because, yeah, it dies in the beginning. And to your point, it shows how we just kind of try to, you know, shove it under the rug. The mom doesn't even want to tell the kids. She doesn't want to have that conversation. Well, the mom doesn't want to tell the kids. I mean, she's got that great line of like, God damn it, Petey, couldn't you have waited until <laughs> a, school you know, a school day or whatever? Like she wants to just get rid of it before the kids even notice and mm-hmm. they'll and they'll probably forget about it, which is the other side of it is that, you know, the kids are like Carol Anna's her sad moment with it. And then she's pretty much immediately like, can I get a goldfish now? <laughs> you know, and it's just like, yes, I get it. It's a bird, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, people love birds. I, you know, I've never, I've never really had a bird pet that I love very much. Um, mm-hmm. But but the but the whole idea is yeah you know it's 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 the cycle of life and like mm-hmm. things die and we move on and mm-hmm. and it, you know so there is that like natural part to it yeah but but it's it's just such a it's just such an intense microcosm of like how we so quickly kind of move on and forget and in a lot of regard and in a lot of respects disrespect right yeah. because. You know, it, it's the callous nature of trying to move on from your grief, trying to forget all of that kind of stuff. I mean, look for me again, weirdly going back to the bird. What happens almost a scene later when they start digging up the pool? What do we see happen? The bird gets displaced. We watch as like the dirt comes up and the bird's coffin just gets pushed off to the side. Poor PD. <laughs> right? But for me, you know, and then it, it ties back in, you know, with this with this big fucking creepy ass tree and the fact that, you know, when it comes to death in history, we like to keep parts of it. So we like to keep this tree because it reminds us of, you know, history and the idea that something's watching over us. And like with Mr. Teague moving the gravestones, we like to keep the idea of death and respect, but we don't actually do it because fuck the bodies themselves. All that matters is the gravestone, right? Yeah, well, I mean, well, again, I mean, it's just been American culture forever that it's mm-hmm. like, you know, 
de- death is something you don't talk about. Death is something we move on from. Mm-hmm. Our our history of death is something we don't talk about. We try to move on from, and, and that's just so different than other cultures, right? Yeah. You know, like we don't we don't have our day of the dead. We don't have you know this this uh, sort of you know type of culture where it's like we go and pay respects to the dead, and it's like a kind of like nice joyous thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Like we don't do that kind of stuff here. Uh, in American no. culture, and uh, what like we're we're hell bent on just pretending <laughs> like thing, just pretending like awful things don't happen, right? Yep. And, <laughs> and and poltergeist, I feel like is kind of so much about that, uh, uh, with the whole idea that you know they just cover up the fact that it's moved from the bodies in the cemetery, and they only move the gravestones, and we're just gonna forget about the fact that we're living on, you know, the graves of these people. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, you know, with everything that does happen with the ghosts, I do, uh, one element that I do really think is fun and interesting with this is how both Steve and Diane kind of react differently to the haunting uh, and everything that's going on because, you know, we kind of have Diane be super excited about it and she's like full of energy and like wonder and, you know, she thinks it's so cool that they can, like, slide things across the floor <laughs> for, through the ghosts and everything. And she's, like, forcing Carol Ann to do it. And, mm-hmm. and meanwhile, Steve is just, like, like that moment where she shows him that, mm-hmm. it, it completely destroys him. Yeah. You know, like, every bit of a person that Steve is at that moment just leaves his body. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, he, he just becomes a husk of just, like nothing makes sense to him anymore Mm -hmm. uh his life like has no meaning anymore like he just (laughs) completely shells out right (laughs) yeah he he goes from being like this this vibrant boisterous loving husband to kind of being to your point a shell of himself you know the the first time that you know we meet dr lesh who's played by beatrice Strait. you know the first time they meet him Steve is a completely different person. He's a fucking raccoon. He's got the dark bags under his eyes. All that kind of stuff. Very different from the person we met in the beginning of the movie. And for me, I feel like it's an interesting, you know, difference to how we deal with death and, you know, the mysteries of the afterlife. Because to your point, the mom is super down for all of it she's really excited throughout this entire thing even though these goddamn spirits have stolen her kid she still finds wonder and beauty in all of this she still holds on very tightly to you know caroline is okay she's gonna get her daughter back all of this kind of stuff and it's kind of this this beautiful belief that the afterlife nothing bad can happen there kind of thing and Steve on the other side it's your point his entire worldview is shattered this is something he doesn't want to talk about he doesn't want to think about and he has no capacity to deal with the thing that I fucking love about Steve in this movie is the fact that despite that Steve's a good husband and he's a good dad like he doesn't believe in this shit but his wife does and that's what's important like Hmm. he steps away from work which is a huge thing in the 80s like for this career dad to like be fuck this shit for my family. Well, but but that's what I think's going on here is that you know it, it is about the fact that 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 he's walking away from work mm-hmm. and that Diane has found something you know to 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 focus on and and do right. So mm-hmm. so you know because this was another thing that was going on at the time is again you do have kind of the deconstruction of the nuclear family going on. And it ties back into the theme of things changing. And part of that changing world was 
you know, it, it was becoming like women were going to the workplace now and, and that was becoming more and more common. And so kind of underneath all this, I think part of the dynamic here is that, you know, that moment for Steve, it, it's, it ties into what you're saying with mm -hmm. like, you know, our different reactions to death and all that kind of stuff. But I think that this is also a little bit of a comment on how the changing dynamics at home, because that moment for Steve is him kind of realizing like, you know, he, he's got this whole sort of ideal in his head of like, I, I'm the man of the house. I mm -hmm. take care of my family. I protect my family. And and once Diane kind of discovers this this whole new thing, like suddenly Steve doesn't really have that. Suddenly Steve is clueless. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to protect his family. He doesn't know how to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it just, I, I think that that is such a great kind of reflection on that changing of the time because, you know, like, it, and it comes through in the smallest ways where you've got, uh, when Steve comes home, the first thing that Caroline says to him is like, mommy didn't make dinner, you know? <laughs> and, and that seems so like innocuous, but but when you think about it, it's like, yeah, that was kind of the the fear of men like Steve at the time. And I'm not I'm not gonna pigeonhole Steve into being part of that category of like the men that were dicks about it and yeah. didn't like that women were joining the workforce. But but it ties into that because you know that small comment of like mom didn't make dinner, like that that is the thing that that worse men were afraid of mm -hmm. and fighting against was this idea that like, well, their women aren't going to be home now making them <laughs> dinner for when they get home. And, and, you know, that's like upsetting to them and all this kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. so, so I just think that, that moment is just so great because it really is like, this is Steve almost sort of losing what he believes manhood is and mm -hmm. what he believes being a man is and having to come full circle and realize what being a man actually really means. Yeah. Uh, which he which he does more of in the sequel. Yeah. I mean, personally for me, again, I grew up in ostensibly what you're talking well, you, about. You had a, well, right. You had a different experience because you grew up with a stay-at-home dad. Um, I grew mm -hmm. up in a more typical traditional, traditional suburban experience mm -hmm. of you know, uh, of, of, of my mother being home more and my dad like work night shifts and all this kind of stuff. But, but no, but, but it is so interesting. Cause, cause, and this is another part of why I love this film is like the, the women are all the strongest characters in this movie. Yes. You know, they are the ones in control. Like Diane is handling this haunting beautifully. <laughs> you know, T mm -hmm. Tangina, of course, is our is one of our heroes of the film. The do Dr. Lesh, played by Beatrice Strait, you know, she she's kind of like the 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 bit of knowledge in the movie, you know, the one mm -hmm. providing trying to provide comfort and knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and and it's all the men that end up just having the fucking shit scared out of them. <laughs> they're the know? shit scared out of them. They're like, expected to be supporting roles. Right, exactly. They they and they're put in supporting roles. They mm -hmm. are in supporting roles. And and for some of them, that's harder to deal with. In particular, Steve, who tries to take control, and at that one moment during the end, when he pulls the rope back because he doesn't trust Tangina, mm -hmm. and then ends up bringing the fucking giant <laughs> ghost skull spirit comes screaming at him, right? You know, and, and and I mean that again too is just like, hey, you're not fully in control anymore, Steve, yeah. and you just have to accept it. <laughs> you just got to take a step back. I look. You know, Steve's definitely struggling with this, but I still want to give it up to him because 
Look, I think that you're right on the mark with this, with the fact that this is talking about, you know, gender roles changing and stuff like that. Well, everything's changing. Like, she Mm -hmm. even, you know, they even have that whole conversation, again, totally innocuous, but that whole conversation about, like, you know, where Diane's like, your diving days are over, you know? And it's it's Steve having to come to acceptance of just, like, I'm, I'm not... I'm not the man I thought I was, Yeah, you know, or I'm not in the position that I thought I was. Yeah. But I, I want to make the argument that I think Steve handles it fairly well. I think he trips up, which I think is human, (laughs) but look, I feel like if we had a lot of other male characters potentially in this, they wouldn't have quit their jobs. They wouldn't be supportive. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to take anything away from what Steve ultimately does. Steve Mm -hmm. ultimately is a good example of what to do eventually, Eventually, but but he still goes through, you know, essentially Steve is going through a process Mm -hmm. of having to accept that he's not the breadwinner. He's not, he's not the ultimate protector. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not in control of the situation, which is the, which is the ultimate thing of it. You know, he has, he's going through a processing of all of that. And he's going through a processing, you know, right down to the whole thing with Carol Ann, where like, he's, you know, he's not, he's not the parent that, uh, that, that is, (laughs) that is there to save her. That's Diane. Right. And so, you know, so, so it's why he's just kind of like a a mute and sort of like, uh, just not there, uh, through a lot, through a lot of the film after that experience, because mm-hmm. he is trying to process all these things, right? Yeah. Um, just like I imagine uh, the the better men who you know maybe weren't initially great about it, but were ultimately having to process kind of the changing world that they were in, right? So, mm-hmm. but I mean, and 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 it's, and it's why I think there is so much uh, just kind of like womanhood sort of imagery in the movie that mm-hmm. we get that we get throughout the end because you have. You know, I mean, you've got the- Carol Ann potentially getting sucked back into a womb. I mean, Carol, yeah, Carol Ann almost gets sucked into a damn womb uh, when her and Diane come out together. They're like covered in placenta and everything. Yep. And uh, and I don't know about you, but it, but if we are looking at it in kind of you know in, in part of the subject with Poltergeist being about you know the sort of changing dynamics in the family mm-hmm. and 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 women kind of becoming more in control and whatever. Um, I, I sort of view that whole thing with her and Carol Ann covered in placenta in the end and, and you know, coming together like that. I almost kind of look at it as like, you know, Diane and Carol Ann not just being birthed into kind of a new world, mm-hmm. but almost like Diane sort of like paving the way for Carol Ann to be a part of that new world, you know, yeah. like like paving the way for her to you know, to, to, to move on in that world and have that control and have that agency and all that kind of stuff. No, I definitely agree with you, especially when we look at, if we consider Carol Ann's birth, because Carol Ann was born in this house. Yeah. It's a one-off line, but if we talk, think about it in the context of everything we're talking about with suburbia and the American dream and all that kind of stuff, this concept that Carol Ann was born into the most idyllic American dream that is very constricting and you know doesn't allow for a lot of room you know and getting sucked in by technology and all this kind of stuff and her mom fighting her way through to free her from that like yeah I absolutely believe that you know this movie is very much about you know trying to keep people in certain cubby holes and it just 
that's just not feasible anymore. Yeah. Well, and, and this ending is like, Di- you know, Diane's basically like, I will go through a fucking ghost dimension <laughs> and fall out of the fucking ceiling covered Your in placenta, plant, placenta <laughs> phantasm goo, mm-hmm. you know, in order to make a way for my daughter to have a future of, of, of agency for herself in this world. <laughs> exactly. Look, and I feel like the very, very end, you know, once we're getting to the point where the house is getting fucking sucked into itself yeah which like, is such an incredible effect for 1982 it's amazing but it also is the like mo- that like that's all done with like model work and stuff if I seriously remember correctly. yeah that's awesome but you know the the last time we see the closet it's not like this bright light it's not anything like that it fucking looks like a vagina it, <laughs> it does. It's all pink uh, and gross. Like, and, I'm not and saying. So what? The vagina destroyed the suburban American dream. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, like, look, if we're talking about you know these women kind of breaking themselves free from you know these roles and stuff like that, then yes, it very much is about the vagina going. Fuck no, we're not going to sit in the kitchen anymore. We're going to live our own lives. <laughs> Vaginas, not just weird looking, also <laughs> destroyers of the suburban dream. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, look. So, so no, I, I do think that's part of it, though, in a sense. Mm. I mean, I don't. I mean, did you not see the vagina closet? I mean, well, no, I saw the vagina closet. Okay. I, 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 I don't. <laughs> I don't think I was crazy. I, I don't know that the house being sucked into a vagina at the end was quite the thing. But, yeah. but again, you know, if, if you want to look at it in those terms, I mean, you can certainly see it. You know, you can certainly, <laughs> you can certainly make the case that that yes, you know, there there is a sort of like femininity invading kind of you know the American dream and, and women claiming that for themselves and mm-hmm. you know and, and so I, I certainly see that part about it although I think alternatively you know uh, I, I look at it more as like the the destruction of of what the supposed American dream is you know mm-hmm. I, I like a complete dismantling of it um, for the good yeah. you know uh, is kind of how I see that in the end and also the the idea that you know, again, we're not dealing with a tribal burial ground, but but I do sort of like to look at that ending as something like kind of referencing this idea of like Native Americans like taking their land back. Yeah. You know, again, I understand that those are not the graves that are there, mm-hmm. but if but if the film is about you know how we've kind of built our dream on taking land from others, then I kind of I kind of like to look at that ending with the house being sucked in as you know as sort of reflection of like. You know, just this kind of nice idea, basically, of, like, Native Americans, like, taking their land back. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why, for me, you know, we've got that iconic line from Tangina where, you know, at the end of, you know, Diane getting placented out of the other realm. And she has that line of, this house is clean. Look, I love Tangina, but she's a fucking liar because the house isn't clean. (laughs) And I think specifically, you know, it's going back to what we've talked about this entire time. They're trying to brush under the rug the fact that this house is built on dead bodies. And until you acknowledge that, they're going to fuck you up and come up through your goddamn flooring. That's not Tangina's fault. You know, I've I've read rumors that that people think that the whole thing gets fucked up and, and Tangina's fooled because of what Steve does with trying to end yeah. the thing too early you know that's fair um wh- which i mean you know it, far be it from men to fuck things up right um <laughs> never done that before but and, and i mean and we haven't talked about her much but you know like shout out to you know zelda rubenstein as tangina because i i love her character in this you I know love her. It, i want her to be my best friend 
No, I mean, she's so great. And, and, and you know, just like she had such a huge impact with such a small role in the movie because she's mm-hmm. only in the film for, God, what, like 15 minutes tops, <laughs> you know? I mean, she's not, she's not in it very much, uh, but she's one of the most influential characters of the film and kind of like of the film success. And, you know, I just, I, I love, I, I love that for her. And, and it's just so funny, you know, going back to the James Wan thing, like, and just how, cause we haven't talked much about the influence of the movie, but like there are just countless, countless, countless haunting films that have all stolen <laughs> the, the whole uh, Tangina bit. And, mm-hmm. and the crew of paranormal investigators that come in and stay in the house, like, just mm-hmm. countless of them have stolen that. I mean, I mean, for God's sakes, like going going back to Conjuring, you know, they're mm-hmm. they're basically the Warrens, who granted were real people, but the Warrens are basically Tanginas, <laughs> you know, in the Conjuring, and that, and then they also have their own little like supernatural paranormal investigative crew, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm but I mean, we've just seen that in so many films since, and it was all kind of you know established by Tangina and Poltergeist in this movie. So. <laughs> Which is just amazing. But look, for me, it's all just, it comes back to what we've talked about. If you don't pay attention to your history, if you don't respect your dead and the people who came before you, they will fucking come up through your floor and steal your goddamn house. Yeah, well, right. And and if you're in a movie directed by Toby Hooper, you'll be dealing with real skeletons because that's what those were in the oh pool scene. Oh my God, scene. really? <laughs> yeah, to- Toby's got a weird thing with skeletons. I don't know what it is because he... Or, or did because he because yeah those those were real skeletons as far as I know and have heard uh, in the pool scene and then he, of course he's got the weird story that I mentioned about you know India producing skeletons mm-hmm. with perfect teeth from the Return of the Living Dead and and he also I think used some real skeletons and of course dead animals and Texas Chainsaw so so yeah to- Toby really goes for like the the, the realism, authenticity the authenticity. <laughs> uh, in, in his movies, which I thought Maybe, was... Does that mean he shot a skeleton at that car? I mean, Did? I don't know if that one was real. Aww. I just I just know that, yes, some of the ones in the pool were real. That's horrifying. Uh, which... <laughs> Which uh, which Diane or, or which Jobeth Williams did not know at the time of shooting. So. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, so we do have to start wrapping up, unfortunately. Uh, so who's your killer idiot of Poltergeist? Okay, look, I love Diane. I think she's awesome. Are you serious right now? She let the spirits drag her kid across the floor. That's some fucked up parenting. I mean, I guess, but <laughs> like, uh, look, I, mean, I, no, I no, 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 whatever. Um. <laughs> I'm gonna go Mr. T because, of course, like the fucking yeah. dude who made the decision to <laughs> to build an entire neighborhood on a cemetery, um, and and you know also just the fact of like how, how did you think people would never figure this out? You got people building pools, you got people <laughs> building basements. Like, how the hell did you think that they were never gonna find the bodies? Like, Six feet is not that deep. <laughs> it just makes no sense, you know. Like, I mean, for God's sake, Craig T. Nelson's building a pool. Like, how 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 did he ever think that people would not find the bodies? <laughs> He's not very smart. <laughs> uh, so definitely killer idiot. What about? Now, since since no one dies in this movie, technically, mm-hmm. uh, instead of doing killer death, we're doing killer scare. So what is your killer scare in Poltergeist? I mean, obviously, that's Marty, who's played by Martin Casella, ripping his own fucking face off, mm-hmm. which he totally deserves because he stole, like, a $20 steak. So fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that is definitely helping yourself uh, yeah. when, you, when you steal that expensive steak from the fridge. Uh, no, it, he's also mine. I Again, like I said before, I, I think that the tearing off of the face thing like totally traumatized me as a kid. It's just... <laughs> It's just it's so gory and horrific and just not something that you're expecting uh, mm-hmm. in this PG gateway horror film, you know. So like, 
Um, so that so that was definitely a growing up moment for me of being like, oh my god, this is like real gore and real like horror, you know. So, uh, so no, that it's, it's a great moment. I love it. What about your killer MVP of Poltergeist? So obviously that goes to Michael Wood for the special effects. Obviously, yeah, they're amazing. Like these special effects definitely hold up. They're super cool. So, and they're the fa- they're my favorite part of the movie. So, yeah, I- I'm gonna go ahead and give it to Heather O'Rourke, uh, just because you know she's I- amazing. I- well, she's amazing. I don't know if and when we're ever gonna talk about Poltergeist two and three. Maybe at some point, but n- not anytime soon in the future that I know of. So, if it never happens, I want to give it to Heather O'Rourke because you know. Uh, it's it's tragic that she passed away so early yeah. in, in such a promising career. She's great in this movie. She's so phenomenal. It's like this child who's kind of creepy, but also, you know, is great at getting just a lot of sympathy for her. She, mm-hmm. she feels there, there's just something that, you know, I'm with Spielberg. Like there's just something so kind of different about her. Like he, he was seeking someone who felt angelic and I sort of get yeah. that from Heather O'Rourke. I, I think Drew Barrymore was up for the part at one point, but Spielberg mm-hmm. didn't think that she had the, kind of angelic sort of quality that Heather O'Rourke does mm-hmm. or did. And, and, and I see that, I see why he cast her. And it, so no, so I, I, I to, to have just such the legacy that she does, you know, with, with the they're here. I mean, every fucking kid growing up in the nineties and the eighties <laughs> knew the they're here line, you know, yeah. except for maybe you, cause you live under a rock, but, but most kids knew the they're here line. I got it through <laughs> osmosis. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I just think she has just such a, a, a wonderful legacy that was cut too short, you know? So yeah. for me, she deserves the MVP. But but this is a film where I think there are so many people that deserved it, including the visual effects artists. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I could have even given it to, to, to Zelda Rubenstein as Tangina. You know? I mean, she's great, she's too. There's just so many phenomenal elements of this movie. But uh, so every week on Twitter, we like to get your thoughts and feelings uh, through a poll on our Twitter at Killer Critics. And so between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on? Poltergeist. I mean, I feel like it's going to be love it. It's a classic. Everybody loves this movie. It is. Well, not everybody, but it is indeed. So love it is 74.9%. It's fine. Got 16.9%. Don't like it. Got 4.6%. And never seen it was 3.6%. So that's about where I figured yeah. it would fall. I, Poltergeist is not a perfect movie, so mm-hmm. I get I get why some maybe aren't as infatuated with it, but I do Ooh. love it. That's where I fall. I know you fall under it. It's fine. I follow it. Yeah, um, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so we'd like to get comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, so first up is Helly O'Haint. So that's H-E-L-L-Y-O-H-A-I-N-T. And they say, the best part of this film is the family. They're so real and relatable, totally different from other flicks in that era. You care so much about them and just want everyone to be safe and happy. Mature kids can handle it too because no one dies. Yeah, I I agree with you. The family really is a standout. And not only that, but they did a good job of having them have a whole bunch of layers. Like we've talked about Robbie. We've talked about Carol Ann. We've talked about the parents. But I want to show a quick shout out to to Dana because Dana's got a rich life going on, even though she's barely in any scenes. The girl is having so much sex. So much sex. She's having all the sex. And I I love... (laughs) <laughs> I, I love that she's just like, oh, yeah, the Holiday Inn. I know that one. Like, yeah, I love Dana. I'm just like, excuse me? Like, <laughs> she was like with it, a hickey again, in one of, in part of it. Right, but again, but I, but I think Dana ties into that, like, you know, women taking control of their lives kind of element of it, you know? Yeah, just good. like, uh, of, I, I do love that we're just so casually 
kind of referencing this woman who's just, or this teenager who's just off having sex all the time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> She's living a good life. Yeah, exactly. Well, indeed. But no, but yeah, but that, that's one of the things I love about it too is they, they are so real and relatable. You know, again, going back to the parents smoking pot, like it actually feels like a real family, you know? Yes. It, it feels like a real family for the time and not this kind of like made up bullshit uh, that we got from Reaganism and all that kind of stuff. You know, mm. like it feels genuine. Yes. <laughs> and, and that does help so much when it comes to the horror of just feeling for people, right? Um, so anyway, thank you at Helio Hain for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at mnick1982. So that's M-N-I-C-K-1982. And they say, this along with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Salem's Lot prove what a master hooper was. Three very different movies, all perfectly done. I definitely agree. I haven't seen Salem's Lot, so I can't speak to that. But Toby Hooper is a master director. And it's it's unfortunate that he didn't do more and he had such a you know hard time with the studio execs and all that stuff i mean he did a lot but he yeah mm-hmm. but he did have a hard time with studios uh, as many directors do you know john carpenter went through similar things mm-hmm. but but no T- toby toby was a master and it, you know i i really do think that he very well understood uh the craftsmanship of horror he loved horror and i think that he really got it uh when it came to how to create memorable horror films for an audience. You know, again, Texas Chainsaw, I think is brilliant Mm -hmm. because you imagine so much of the horror, you know, there's so much horror that's not on screen that you imagine in your mind. And then you also saw through films like Poltergeist and like Life Force, uh, which I think is one of his best works of just how much of a visionary he was, you know, and and how he could really just craft these just kind of like beautiful, but kind of eerie and frightening worlds. Um, and, and so those of you that haven't seen Life Force, I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite vampire movies just because of how uh, unique and over the top it is. It's just so beautiful uh, of a movie. But Toby, I think, was a, a phenomenal director that really, you know, he's, he's one of those that I think really didn't get the credit he deserves because he's well known for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and, and a couple others like Poltergeist. But, but I really don't think that he gets the, the credit that he deserves for his full career Yeah, because uh, he really did make a lot of phenomenal films that you know, have largely been overlooked, I think, by modern audiences like Life Force or Invaders from Mars. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so thank you at mnick1982 for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is coming from at shutterpoint3. So that's S-H-U-T-T-E-R point and then the number three. And they say many haunted house films before Poltergeist weren't as relatable because they took place in mansions or castles. Poltergeist had an average modern family in an ordinary neighborhood. Most of the characters felt like real people that you would see on a daily basis. The horror just hits better when it happens to people you can relate to. Yeah, it's, you know, Poltergeist is still one of the few films, at least for me when it comes to a haunting, that is super relatable. Because I grew up in a house like that. I grew up in a neighborhood like that. You know, and to should a point's point, ostensibly, when it's in mansions and, you know, hauntings and insane asylums and all that kind of stuff, those are cool, but not relatable. And this one really brought the haunting back into Americana, which is awesome and terrifying. Well, it didn't bring it back into Americana. It brought it to Americana. Yeah. You know, Poltergeist did what, ironically, Salem's Lot did uh, for Mm -hmm. vampires because the Salem's Lot, Stephen King's novel, uh, which, again, that was another one that Toby Hooper ended up directing, but... Uh, Salem's Lot brought vampires out of castles and like gothic settings, you know, to the American suburbs, basically. Mm-hmm. And it brought the horror home. And Poltergeist, uh, like Shutterpoint mentions, it, it did the same. You know, it did take 
ghosts out of castles and like you know places that were kind of out of everyday average american life you know Mm -hmm. and it did it brought it to the house next door to you and and that is such an important thing to do in the horror genre and and honestly the late 70s and 80s were kind of all about sort of doing that and moving away from the kind of gothic era of horror or the sort of uh, fantastical and kind of bringing it to the house next door, which is just part of why that period was so great for the genre. Because <laughs> uh, it really did bring you horror stories that you could directly relate to, you know. It wasn't monsters in space and and vampires in castles. It was right next door to you, and there was something so terrifying about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it made the horror real for you, you know. So, uh, so anyway, so thank you at Shutterpoint3 for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Ba Film Shaw, so that's B-A-H, Film, S-H-A-W, and they say, love it, watched many times as a kid, and shared it with my own son last year. It's a great gateway horror, but still fun to watch as an adult. Oh, I, okay, I feel like that's adorable, getting to share this this movie you grew up watching with your kid. Oh, I mean, there are so many people that, you know, that are horror fans that get to share this film with the young ones, because it is a gateway horror film, yeah. you know? It, it is one that I think... When you're when you're first getting your kid into horror, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of one of the earlier ones that you can sort of introduce them to uh, a little more safely than say something like <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? <laughs> yeah, we need to kidnap our nieces so that we can have these bonding moments with them. I can't wait to scare the shit out of our nieces with Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I, I totally agree. It, it is a great gateway horror film, and, and it's why I think those movies are so important. It's the one thing. The one thing that I do think is missing a little bit in 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 mainstream studio horror mm-hmm. is you know because we got a lot of stuff like we got a lot of stuff like Hereditary and The Conjurings and all that kind of stuff. I want to see more stuff that's like Poltergeist or Monster Squad or The Gate. You know, or I want Gremlins or Gremlins. I want to see more mainstream, big budget theater horror films that are geared towards kids yeah, <laughs> and geared towards getting them into the genre. We get a lot of it through, you know, streaming services and stuff like that. There mm-hmm. are some great things out there. Um, but I, but I want to, I want to see more of that because it's so important for children. We need gateway horror. Otherwise, how are we going to have more horror fans? Exactly. Every gateway horror film is an introduction for someone into the genre. And that's why I love it. So thank you for the comment at Ba Film Shaw. I appreciate it. Uh, and then last comment is from at J. Hopefully I see this. Okay. J Rujiro 86. So that's J R U G G I E R O 86. The number is 86. And they say one of the few horror movies that makes me cry. Aww. I think there is uh, so much sympathy uh, to be had here with, you know, uh, with the parents and, 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 uh, and Carol Ann missing, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the moment when they're all reunited and they've they've pulled her back from this like impossible scenario of being trapped in another dimension, you know, and they're, and they're all just together as a family again. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's really beautiful. Like, yeah. I, I, like I, I totally get why you cry during this, because like, I think I tear up during this sometimes, you know, Aww. like it's it's just it's just such a beautiful moment to see this family reunited mm-hmm. and having beaten these odds, you know, so. Uh, so anyway, thank you at jrogiro86 for the comment. Appreciate it. And then since it is the end of the month, we do like to really briefly just kind of rank the movies that we've talked about and kind of our favorites to least or least favorites to favorite, whatever. Uh, so this month we've talked about Poltergeist, uh, Friday 13th Part 4, 
uh, Identity and The Return of the Living Dead. So how would you rank this month, Chris? Okay, so I have to admit, this month is really hard because I love all of these films. I think that they're all great in different ways. For me, at number four is Poltergeist. Okay. <laughs> I am... You monster? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it, but... You know, I love other ones better. So number three is Identity. Um, number two for me is Return of the Living Dead. And of course, Friday the 13th, part four, final you, chapter. I you love would. It. You of would. course, um, Jason <laughs> can never not be number one. Fair enough. Uh, so so my list is Identity. Yeah. Love it, but the weakest. Less, less, yeah. less than these other four. Um, uh, and then Friday the 13th, part four. <gasps> my, I know. It look I, look. I it, get it. I look, do get it. Look, it's my favorite Friday Thirteenth movie. Okay, but but those movies are not like you know. I can't. You don't have to. It's not like they're genius or me. anything. So. You just have to sleep on the couch tonight. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then Poltergeist again, hugely influential on me. Of course, The Return of the Living Dead is my favorite. That is one of my favorite zombie movies of all time. Fair like, enough. I just uh, didn't think that it was going to outweigh the classic. They're both classics. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, no, they're both classics. Uh, and the Return of the Living Dead is just endlessly entertaining. I can watch that movie any day of the week. <laughs> it's just it's such a perfect combination of horror and comedy. And so, okay, so one last thing that we do here is uh, just kind of releases for the week and what you can look for. So, uh, first up is a film called "You Won't Be Alone," and this is on th- in theaters on the first of April. And uh, it's essentially I, I I watched this today actually uh, for a review that should hopefully be up on KilowattHourCritic.com later this week, um, or or by the time you're listening to this. But it's a it's a beautiful film about a child uh, who uh, ends up kind of growing up with a witch essentially, and then she and she is a witch herself, and she kind of develops the power to like live in the skin of different human beings and so she's kind of spending the the majority of the movie really just kind of living uh, the life of different people like living in the skin of them and kind of seeing life through their eyes it's a very it's a very uh poetic movie you know it okay. like like 90 percent of it is inner monologue of just her talking through just like very poetic imagery and scenes and stuff like that so it's not going to be for everybody but but I thought it was beautiful. It, it has a lot of the gruesome grotesqueness of life, but then alternatively the the beauty of life, you know. So it's kind of a conversation about both of those things. Um, so I really enjoyed it. It's got Numi Rapace in it for a little bit, uh, who's always great. Um, but but just really really good film. I really enjoyed this. Uh, another one is Let the Ron One In, and this is coming to VOD on the first. And this is a vampire movie, a vampire comedy. Uh, I, I don't remember it well because I caught it at a festival I think about a year ago, but I did really enjoy it. Uh, it's it's kind of about this uh, coven of like female vampires, if I remember correctly, that are turning people into vampires in this town, and then this guy and his brother who's been bitten kind of like take them on, and it's just it's really fun. The villains are great. Again, they're all like kind of you know like snarky women basically, and awesome. I, I remember it just being super bloody and funny. Uh, so definitely check that out if you're if you're looking for a good vampire comedy. 
Uh, and then, of course, lastly, tying into the vampire theme is Morbius uh, coming out to theaters on the first. <laughs> I didn't realize and that was coming out already. I believe so, unless it changed dates on me. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, Morbius, you know, the Jared Leto Marvel vampire movie, you know, <laughs> about the character Morbius. Uh, this is one I have not seen, but I don't know. I've heard, well, I actually haven't heard it's very good. But again, <laughs> uh, I believe in not judging anything until you've seen it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully it'll be decent. Looks I don't know. interesting enough. I think, Matt's, I think Matt Smith's in it. Uh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe he is. I I, I believe so. Yes. Um, but I don't know. I, I will say this. I'm looking forward to Marvel's quote unquote horror period. Hopefully they do it well. Hopefully. I doubt they will, but hopefully yeah, you, you never know. Um, <laughs> we'll give them a chance. We'll give them a chance. Um, so that's gonna do it for us on Poltergeist and our horror movies for a rainy night theme uh we have not yet put up voting at this moment uh for our theme for next month but that will be up on our twitter page jack killer critics shortly so so take a look there and you can vote for uh whatever theme you'd like to hear us discuss for april so check it out uh otherwise that's gonna do it for us on this so i'm matt and i'm chris and have a great night horror fans bye I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night horror fans. <laughs>